Well, good evening, church. Glad to see each of you here tonight. Um, let's go to God in prayer, please. Our great and gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for being our master, our master teacher, and the magnificent one, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're thankful that you know us, that you've allowed us to know you in some way. We ask that you'll grow us as we look in your word, help us to become stronger in our Christian walk of faith, we might honor and glorify your name. Thank you for your love, and thank you for Jesus, your great son who died that we might live. It's in his name we pray, and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Um, okay, we left off last week with Proverbs 23 and verse 7, which says, As a man thinketh, so is he. So today we're going to ask the question, is it possible to will ourselves into being happy? Right? Okay, Celia says yes, you can. Or are you just saying, okay, there's another question. <laughs> can we, how do we, how do you, how do we will ourselves into being happy? What are some, what are some tools, tricks of the trade to will yourself into being happy? Maybe you might say getting out of that mood, getting out of that, that negative mindset. What's a, what's one or, or other tricks? What do you use? <laughs> All right, so excuse me for one minute. Alex, please leave our classroom. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, my wife's not in here. You're right. Go shopping. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> All right, go shopping. Get out and do something, right? All right, go shopping. What's another way? Any, anyone? All right, think of something positive. So I'm stuck in the negative. Now I'm going to think of something positive, Okay. Uh, yes? Okay, start counting your blessings, right? Count your blessings. Think of something positive. Count them one by one. Gladys? Think about the blessings that you have. What is happy? Right, satisfaction. It's not, yeah. It's not ha ha. Right, it's I'm satisfied. Finding that, 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 that moment of uh, solace and reminding yourself that you are blessed, you are satisfied, you are happy. Does God, does you have, yes. Mm-hmm. That's, yes, sir. I, I hear that a lot, one, a lot in the world. Fake it until you make it. Yep, just keep pretending and eventually you'll believe your own lie, right? Yes, Celia. Thank you. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So um, young folks have Googled our record, and now they know what it is. Um, you're right. Flip it over, right? Um, and I don't have to listen to that sad song any longer. I don't have to be in that place any longer. So very good. Um, so it's, it's all relative. It is, isn't it? Uh, and what helps us to... What helps to remind us that it's all relative? 
Right, which is really sad, but it's true. To think about the fact that others are way worse off than we are. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Putting things back into reality, right? Uh, which we'll get, get to that in a moment. Uh, certainly that is, that is true. Uh, okay, so thank you. Now, what about... Uh, okay. Now, you thought Celia was weird. What about talking to yourself? <laughs> yeah, right? Do you? I mean, when I grew up, it was like, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't answer. Well, I do both, right? <laughs> Sometimes, right? Self-talk is, um, uh, we're going to go to Proverbs 12 now. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> You, you can right. You can answer as long as you don't say "huh" or "what did you say." And is that is that bad if that happens? Because I was going to say Tracy's in trouble if that's the case. <laughs> exactly. Learn to live with it. Okay. So, um, it, it sounds weird, and it's it's you know it's it's a you know, psychological thing. All psychologists will tell you it's really healthy to talk to yourself, to remind yourself of stuff over and over again. Look, there's not a sport, sporting event, if you will, or that, there are no athletes that all athletes talk to themselves because you have to tell yourself if you're really tired. Nope, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm good. I'm at mile eight. I've got you know 16 more to go or whatever. All right, we made the first leg. We're good. You've got to talk to yourself. You got, that hurt. That's okay. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, we always do that uh, as, as athletes, and, and we should do that. <laughs> yeah, listen to this one. You should, do that. you should do that regularly. You should talk to yourself. Remind yourself of, of things that you know are true, right? Um, so, so there's another side of it that I want to get to in a second. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Now, when you read that verse on, the, on, a, you know, on a regular level, you'd say, okay, a good word. So that means I'm waiting for someone to come by and tell me something good. It doesn't say where the word comes from, <laughs> right? You can give yourself a good word. You can, you can talk to yourself and encourage yourself um, and remind yourself of things that are very beneficial and powerful and impactful in your world or in your life. And so... Um, here's the other side. If I don't conform my life to the reality, so um, like Celia said, I'll just keep playing that record and I'll live, I'll, I'll live in the imagine, imaginary world. I'll live in my imagination. Now watch the, watch the negative part of talking to yourself. You ever heard the saying, you're turning this, this molehill into a mountain? Because once you go down that, now we know there's a spiraling effect when we get into the world of the negative, right? And it just gets worse and worse. And, and we do that. We don't necessarily mean to do it, but it seems like it's easier to dwell on the negative than to dwell on the positive if you're not used to it, right? And so to, to live in the, in the reality is, is far different and easier than living in the world of imagination because in the world of imagination, it can only get what? Worse. And you can build this thing. You can make it, oh, I, I, you know, I don't have any food today. I know I'm not going to have any tomorrow. And then, oh, you know, and you just keep going. You don't know what tomorrow holds, right? None of us do. In fact, we don't even know what the next second holds. 
We don't even know if we're going to make it out of, this, out of this room today. Right? I mean, Jesus may come back. We, we, don't, we have no clue. We have no control over things in the, in the imaginary world or things in the future, which would be our imaginary world, because it isn't necessarily true. Right? So I learned in, in, uh, when doing class in psychology, they were saying, if you take the number of things that we think are going to happen, there is no comparison to the things that actually happen. The things we think are going to happen really never actually happen. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid if I have a phobia, I'm afraid this is going to happen. It never happens, right? Uh, if, I ha- you know, if I'm worried about this event that's going to happen in an hour, it doesn't really happen, right? Because we cannot predict the future because we're not prophets. We don't know the future. Only God knows the future. So live uh, in the reality. We're going to go to Proverbs 17. Keeping myself, my mind in the reality will help my mind to stay rooted. And that's important, right? To stay rooted. And when I can, I can stay rooted because I know I, I can feel my, my arms, my hands, I got blood pumping. I'm actually okay. But um, when we start getting into that phase of panic attacks, you're not living in the reality. You're beyond, so far beyond the reality because that idea of what could happen builds so, and it gets up in your throat and in your chest, and you have back aches and pains and all the stuff. You have, you, you have um, all the endorphins are going because your body is experiencing what your mind is creating. And what's amazing is that there's no documented case with a panic attack that has actually caused a, you know, it feels like a heart attack, but it's not really a heart attack. There's no documented case where any panic attack that produces endorphins that create the feeling of a heart attack that actually has ever had any lasting effects. It just goes away. And then it's gone, right? Because you build a huge um, imaginary world that we're living in, and it creates all kinds of problems. So living and willing myself to, uh, to uh, a great and positive mindset. Verse 22, Proverbs 17. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries um, the bones. And so drying up the bones, uh, in, in that thought, um, you know, inside of your bones, you produce the marrow, right, for your blood, your blood marrow. The marrow produces the blood, rather. So you ever heard of bad blood? I mean, it's kind of a, not a non-scientific, but it's a truthful idea. You know, good blood, bad blood, etc. Well, the idea in Proverbs 17 is you can make yourself sick. Isn't that true? Yeah, you can make yourself sick. In fact, it's been documented also, people have willed themselves to death, right? It's just, they, you know, they're not really sick, but they, they die. And it's usually out of, from what? Excessive sorrow, yeah, broken heart. And, and excessive sorrow is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where it tells us as children of God never to allow a brother or sister to get into excessive sorrow. And you know, what, you know what's interesting? That that scripture in 2 Corinthians 2 is referring to is the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who is sleeping with his father's wife. And that guy, um, Paul says, uh, you know, we don't judge the world, we only judge... Christians, which is probably reason it's written that way. Uh, it doesn't really talk about the other people involved. But this individual is, uh, is disfellowshipped, right? Uh, the Bible says he, he you know, he's given, turned him over to Satan. In 2 Corinthians 2, he comes back to the Corinthian church and repents. And then God says, you know, the, he, excuse me, Paul starts talking about making the guy sorrowful. The one I made sorrowful, I'm glad. Because it produced fruitful, you know, repentance, Right? He came back, but now, church, he says, to not allow him to go into excessive sorrow 
reaffirm your love for him, right? So that's a, a very important uh, part or aspect of uh, our Christian walk. And so um, I used to teach my children, you know, in the Lord's Church, if you see younger people, you know, their age, sitting in a corner, go play with them. Just, you know, kind of kindly walk away from your friends if they won't come with you. Go play with that person over there by themselves, right? Never let a Christian sit by themselves. It's not necessary, right? So we don't, we don't know what the world was like today for that individual. So I'm talking in regards to children at this time. Okay, so then, um, along with this idea of willing myself into a better attitude or uh, a transforming, transformation of mind, uh, how about seeking? What am I seeking after, right? Um, so Isaiah uh, chapter 55, it, it speaks to this idea of, of seeking after things in life, and it gives us something interesting to think about because it, he tells us what to do when you're seeking or who to seek after. Right? We know the answer is God, right? And it, but it's interesting how it, how it states this. In Isaiah 55 and verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. What is that? What is the inference there? What is the opposite effect of that possibility? Yeah, there, there may be a point in time when God can't be found. Is that true? Well, it's right here in the scriptures, right? I mean, it could be when it's too late, right? It could, it could be when, uh, well, you know, death has come upon an individual. God is always there. But how many times have you talked to someone and they said, you know, I don't see God. I don't, I don't know that God exists, right? Because they don't, he's not there in their own mind, right? He is there, but we can, in our own minds, we can, I guess, um, cause ourselves to think so negatively that we're forever thinking, woe is me. So another good example, superstitions. Um, how many of you grew up being superstitious? I did, right? My parents are very superstitious, and um, so I just questioned it, and I wasn't probably the favorite child for that reason. Like, it didn't make any sense to me, you know? A black cat crossed the road, you know, you got X number of years of bad luck, and what are you supposed to do with your hair when it's cut? And, and what, you know, when you cross the pole, don't split the pole, and then, I mean, there's a lot of them, right? Uh, and, and I, I you yeah. know. Do, do what now? Yeah. Step on the crack and, and break your mama's back. Yeah. I mean, right? There's just a bunch of those, aren't there? It's just a, a ton of them. Um, and I just, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Because a lot of the superstitious ideas are things you don't even think about. Like, you know, I mean, if a black cat crossed the road and you just didn't see it, is it still bad luck? Right? Or you accidentally split the pole, is it still bad luck? You know, do you have to go, no, you go back and go around. You're going to bring bad luck to us. Like, how am I bringing bad luck? The pole, it, it's a new pole, <laughs> right? We've been walking this way all of our lives. Um, what we believe, so that belief factor, that idea of um, the, the negative mindset. So someone can will themselves into believing that God doesn't exist, even though they know he does. I mean, watch this. You ever wondered where God was in your, in your difficult situations in life? Anybody ever been there before? You go, yeah. Lord, I know you're there, but I don't know. I just, and some have said, I just don't feel you. I don't, whatever the words that may come behind that. And realistically, they know God is there, but I just feel like he's not there. And that's a contradiction, almost even oxymoron. It doesn't really work. Either he's there or he's not. And what does God promise? I'll never leave you nor forsake you, which means he's always there. But even Christians, can, we can talk ourselves into believing something that isn't true. 
So God is saying, continually think about the idea and understand and surrender to the fact that God is always there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Okay? Um, there are some, though, on the other side who feel like God can't be found. And then the second part of that verse says, call upon him while he is near. When is God ever far away? Right? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. Every, he's always present. Yes, go ahead. Yes, right? When we turn our backs and literally walk away from God, right? And you know what's amazing about that very thought and idea? If you turn around, he's still there, <laughs> right? I mean, because I mean, the reality is he's always near, but you're right about that. It's the idea that God is no longer with me. So like Samson, for example, um, he told Delilah his secret. She cut his hair. He didn't know the Lord left him, and God did leave him. Uh, God came back to him, right? And, and so sometimes we might think, well, God's never going to accept me, or God will never forgive me. Or No, just turn around, right? Turn back to God, and then uh, he's right there. But certainly that is true when we, when we turn away and leave, because God is always uh, going to be there uh, for his children if we go to him. So let the wicked forsake his way, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So there's never a time that you can't have God in your life or with you as a child of God, ever. But if you choose, like uh, we'll state, if you choose to walk away, that's your choice. But you know what to do. You just turn back around, right? And come back, come back to God. So, um, Let's go to this next scripture. Let's go to the uh, Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10. And let's talk about our thought. And, and this verse here is interesting because it, it gives a, com- it makes a statement. But it talks about our power in Christ. So the power of the mind. Have you ever seen, there are some, I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're called. Other than maybe, I don't even know what they're called. Um, but they're, they're episodes or shows where they're showing people that end up having supernatural strength. Like, right, not a person on drugs, just, you know, just a situation where a car flips over and a, a mother's trying to get her, her baby and she picks that car up, right? And they show it and it happens and it's real and we, and we know there's no, no, no um, Hollywood editing to it. It really does happen. So we know that, that that's possible. So the amazing ability of our minds to to do what we're supposed to do is just, it's untapped, isn't it? What do they say? They say we use about, well, people that use their minds uh, actively use about 10%. There's a lot left, right? Uh, and so my 3% is still used, but not as much as others. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We are destroying every, we're, we're destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay. Context. Paul is talking about his service to God and that in his mind, verse 4, that our weapons for our, the weapons of our, um, for the, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And so what God does when you become a Christian and, and what does God give us? Who does God give us? The Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit. He also says he dwells in us, right? So God gives us the Holy Spirit, which means we have the power 
through God and through his scriptures to defeat Satan. We have the power to say no. We have the power. We have the power. It's not a question as to whether or not we have the power. We have so much power. Watch how much power we have. The devil's in your life today, and, and you're like, oh, he's just, he's just here. What does the Bible say to say to him? Be gone. <laughs> Resist the devil, and he what? It's a commandment. He will flee. It's not like an option for Satan. It's a commandment because God's in charge and he's given us power, the power of the mind. So we resist the devil. Be gone, Satan. We resist the devil. He will flee because he has to, because God makes him flee. Okay. And that's really important in our lives. We take every thought captive. So we have the ability to capture the negative thinking, if you will, and, and, and replace it with positive thinking. We can turn it around. Not because we have this great supernatural uh, strength in ourselves, if you will, but we have it with Jesus, right? So God gives us amazing power, mental power, to make Satan leave us alone. But we think he can win, right? He can't win. Who's bigger than Satan? Remember that song we were kids growing that you know my, my little kids sing it all the time. You know God is bigger than the well that song is boogeyman. But <laughs> sorry. But the point in the song is God's bigger than anything that you're afraid of, right? That's the point of the song that eventually it eventually gets to. Taking every thought captive. So I have the ability, I have the, I have the strength to step aside from my, my negative thinking, which, which is going to be there because we live in a negative world, right? There's a lot of bad news, right? There's a lot of, I mean, you know, if you, if I, this is a lot of bad stuff. Uh, there's a lot of shootings now too, right? Just it's get fentanyl. I mean, I just got a video sent from the school about fentanyl. All our young middle school uh, people are are you know dying from it, and they're talking about it being now a, the new issue that we're going to start dealing with. And so we got to talk to our children about even even trying a drug, right? Because of how bad uh, this has become. Well, there's so much bad stuff out there that it's it's important that we as God's people learn the the art of taking control of our own minds, right? Taking control of our own minds, taking every thought captive, getting rid of speculation, and just focusing on the reality. What is the reality? What is, what is the reality in my world that I'm living in? Now, I want to go to another scripture, and then I, I want to get, I'm trying to get to uh, uh, Philippians. Matthew chapter 22. And one of the ways, one of the, one of the secrets, if you will, I use that idea of that word because it's not really a secret. It's in the scripture. But one of the secrets of taking our thoughts captive goes back to Isaiah 55, seeking God, right? That's one of the ways seeking God gets rid of all that. It's hard to do, uh, to, to think about and seek evil and seek God. You're either doing one or the other, usually, right? Um, so seeking seeking God and and, and questioning ourselves continually about well how much do i really actually love god right now i love god but what kind of love how how much do i when i put god on a in a on my own scale where does he really measure up with that with my weights are there you know where does he where does he measure up right and so god tells us in in matthew 22 uh, in verse 37 you shall love the lord your god with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. So what does, that, what does that take to do that? Effort. Right? 
it, it takes effort to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, all your soul. It takes effort to love God. To love God, a God whom you cannot see. So remember Thomas? Thomas bowed down and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you because you see me. But more for those who don't see me. right? And so it takes effort to love God whom we cannot see, but we know is real. right? We know he's real, but we cannot see him. And we are visual people right? as humans. Uh, the other side of that, he gives us a physical. That's why God always does this. He gives us a physical to go along with the spiritual, right? Because it's hard. Some, it's hard to just get this idea of loving God whom you cannot see in a spiritual way and then saying, yeah, I love God with all my mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then, but then God says, I'm going to give you a measuring rod so you can know how much you really love God. And this measuring rod is pretty scary. You know what the measuring rod is, right? The next commandment. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. That's the measuring rod. That's how you know how much you love God. Scary. Kind of a scary thought, right? Um, how much do I love God? So now I go back to that Isaiah 55 passage where I'm seeking God and I'm trying to get better at loving God. I'm trying to become better at loving God, the God whom I cannot see. I'm trying to do better. Here's another scary part. because There's three personnels or, or personalities in this. There's loving God. There's loving your neighbor. And who's the other one in there? Loving yourself, right? Not self-love, but loving yourself. If you don't, how are you going to treat your neighbor? Right? Well, if I don't love myself, I'll treat my neighbor horribly. Right? Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. This is the law and the commandments, Matthew chapter 7. So if I'm trying to fulfill God's commandments and law, it's always loving God and always loving my neighbor as I love myself. Do for my neighbor what I would like for my neighbor to do for me. Right? I, I'm this person who's always focused on, on the God who, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and chapter 8, who says... It doesn't matter what you give. Don't worry about it. I'll give it back. Right? It's that idea, that understanding of a real God who exists in our lives and uh, who's always ever present as we serve, uh, serve him. Okay, the next, the next thought with this same idea. Matthew 26, I mean, sorry, Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. And then we'll, we'll get down to Philippians. That's what I really want to get to. Isaiah 26. I'm looking at verses... Uh, Let's look at verse 3 and verse 4. 3 and 4. Okay, the, the steadfast mind, verse 3. The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. Now, Isaiah 26, 3 is a counter to Philippians 2 where you're loving, you're loving God. Philippians 2 is all about loving, loving God. And so the steadfast mind is in perfect peace. It also goes along with Philippians 4, right, where it says, um, trust in love with all your might. Rejoice always. I say, again, I say rejoice. And it talks about giving God, you know, making supplication to God, giving God all of your anxiety, all of your troubles. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 uh, and 7. This verse goes along with that because God gives us this peace that surpasses all comprehension, right? So here's, here Isaiah, God is saying to the people who are going off in the exile, 
to the northern kingdom that if you want perfect peace, you can only find it in God. You can't find it anywhere else. Right? So that's been the consistent theme throughout the whole Bible. Right? So you find it in the New Testament, you find it in the Old Testament. And then he says in verse uh, 4, Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And so that word rock, that idea of boulder, right? Because that's talking about God. The same rock as you find in Matthew uh, chapter 16, upon this rock I'll build my church. The boulder, right? This foundation, it's just massive, this massive bedstone. In a massive bedstone, you can always count on the fact that it's going to be there. And that's kind of when you think about God, that's what God is. He's this massive foundation stone or, or boulder that will always be there. And so you can trust in God forever because God will forever be there. You see the relationship? That boulder isn't going anywhere. You know, we, we could have an earthquake and this building could just fall down, but the bedstone is still there, right? The foundation isn't going to move. And so God is the foundation of our lives, speaking spiritually now. And so we can trust in him always forever right you never have to worry about anything because god's got it so who's in tomorrow god's already there right who's been there and i mean you know he's got it covered okay uh now i want to get to philippians now philippians chapter two so we achieve this positive mental attitude this willing ourselves into into good thinking even in in very desperate times and keep in mind that there's no question that it's more difficult to find that piece of, of uh, place of peace and um, solitude and, and just, um, you know, being in the reality today and, and then willing myself into happiness when there are difficult times. So a good practice is to do what? Do it every day, right? Prepare yourself. Train. Where the Bible says train our minds, right? It, it tells us to train our minds. Train our mind. Train your mind to be able to react and respond. When, and it works. It works. I mean, you, you take a soldier, you train him to do what? Do the opposite. Don't run from the fi- gunfire. Run towards the gunfire. You've got to be trained to do that. You know, you train a fireman to run into the burning building. Everyone else is running out of the burning building, right? You have to train yourself. And we can train our minds to uh, overcome continually all the evil and wicked thoughts and then transform our minds to thinking about the positive things that we find only in Jesus. So we look at Philippians uh, chapter 2, and we find that genuinely doing things is always helpful. So any good therapist is going to tell you when you say, oh, I'm just so depressed, they're going to say, go do something. Well, go do what? I don't know. What do you normally do? Nothing. Okay. They got to give you a little bit of help, right? Go do something. Don't go make decisions, but just go do something. Go run around the track. You know, go pick up some rocks. Go, you know, I'll tell folks, do some push-ups. <laughs> do something, right? Do, go do something because sitting still, you're going to continue to dwell on, on the negative. So this is what the Bible says. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but go do something. What do you want me to do, Lord? Go do something for somebody else. All right? That always makes you feel good. Go do something for somebody else. It doesn't matter who it is. He doesn't say, you know, it can't be your child or, or your spouse or your family member or a member of the church. Or he doesn't tell you who to do it for. But he says, you know, there are always needs out there that we are pretty aware of. There's always something you can do for someone else. Go do it. Go do something. When you are busy, when we are busy and active doing something, we are reminding ourselves in that moment that it is what it is. I'm in the moment. I can't. I, right now, I don't have the power to change this moment. You know, you ever, any of you have that earthquake uh, app on your phone? 
I do. I don't even know why I got it. But someone told me to get it. And I go, oh, okay. I, you know, okay, I think I have it. You know, then ding, ding, ding. I'm like, oh, what does, that, what does that mean? Oh, an earthquake. Oh, another earthquake. Another. It's Indonesia. It's MLI. It's, it's all over the world. Earthquake. Every earthquake, my phone dings. It dings a lot, church. <laughs> so he say, remove the app. I know I'm not smart enough. I told you. I use 3% of my brain. All right. But there's tragedy all over the world all of the time, right? And I don't know if, you know, it wasn't all, it didn't make the huge news or, you know, but it, it happened somewhere and maybe it affected someone's life or maybe it didn't. I don't know. But I'm living in the moment. And when you live in the moment um, and the reality, you keep your mind from going off into la-la land, the world of the imaginary. And that's important, right? When we were children... And we went into that world. It was like, you know, you know the, it was the good, it was a dreaming about what? The, the princess and the, and, you know, the fairy tales and the, that good stuff. But then you get older and you start going, hey, those fairy tales aren't real. You know, uh, you, know you gotta find a way to keep our minds in, in the moment because this is all that you can control is, is what you're in right now, right? And the rest of it, we have to do what? Accept and trust. Accept and trust. Because I know when that phone dings because of an earthquake, I know God, God's taking care of that. I already know that. I don't have to question it. I don't have to think about it. Right? So my mind doesn't go into the world of depression. I'm going to remove that app. Remind me to remove that app <laughs> into the world of, uh, of depression. Okay. Um, how do we know that we can do this? So earlier the question was, can we will ourselves? And you all agree we can. And that's great. And it's true. And it's Philippians 4. And I can do all things through what? Right. Does Christ want Christians walking around depressed? Does God, what do we know two things about God? God knows and God cares. Right? God's got this. Do I believe that though? God's got me. Well, yeah, but, well, but he does. He really, truly does. Right? I mean, just, just, I'm not asking you to go through anything, but when you go through something, watch him work. And sometimes it's going through things to remind us in our reality that he is working. You know, he, the invisible God, the God whom you cannot see, is working in our lives. He's not just working in our lives for our good, but look at Philippians um, chapter 2. Look down at verse 12. I love this. I, this is a, my, one, of my, one of my go-tos. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. And I go, ooh. And, but don't stop reading. right? Because he goes on to say, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as I'm working out my own soul salvation, guess who's working out my own soul salvation? God's in me doing it, right? Isn't that great? He didn't leave me by myself. He didn't, I mean, it, it says you work it out, but he says, oh, by the way, but I'm in you. You know, it's like, it's like okay, uh, son, you're going to ride the bicycle today. Daddy, I've never ridden a bike before, but today you're going to ride that bike. And what does daddy do or mom? You hold the seat, and you're helping them ride their bicycle. They're not riding, I mean, they're riding the bike, but you're, right? So God is holding the seat for us, church, Right? He's got to believe that. God did not wind us up and say, go figure it out. You know? And we know that because how many of us have said, 
or heard it stated that um, um, well, I'm remembering. Oh, if we only had a training book on how to raise children, right? So, oh, if we had a training book, you got one. But but outside of that, if we only had a training book, well, what do we know? God, we need you. These little things here. This, you know, I can't find that in the book. <laughs> There's lots of things you won't find in the book. You know, how do I how do I deal with this situation? Right? Meaning them making a mess and you losing your mind about it. Um, okay. So let me show you Jesus and, and God in action. And then we're going to close because our time is almost up. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to just before the cross. Matthew 26. I'm going to show you, the, I'm going to show you two things in this. I want to show you the, the power of, of prayer and then believing your prayer. You, you know the, the you know, Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you know he was in the garden. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. And then I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. And then I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Because really, there are three phases here. Okay? All right, number one, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. All right. So we, we know what's going on, don't we? I mean, we read this time and time again, and we know this is a very distressful time for our Lord, right? This is the human side of him. It is, the, it, is, it is God. I mean, it's just him, right? God is struggling right now. And in verse 39, and he went a little beyond them and fell to his face and uh, praying, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou Will. Now, do you think he meant that? Yeah, he meant it, right? But wait a minute, isn't he God? You know, you know this is the only way? Well, right now, this is Jesus the man, right, who's not using that side. You know, Philippians 2, he emptied himself, so he doesn't have that, that kind of foreknowledge unless it's revealed to him, uh, you know, as, just like we. Uh, verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch at me for... One hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So look at what he's doing. He's serving others, isn't he? In his own distress, he goes, hey, you guys need to pray because you don't know what's coming. You need to be up praying. See, it's not necessarily that Jesus is coming back in utter frustration, you know, although he's saying, oh, man, you guys couldn't stay. But what he's saying is you need to be praying because what's about to happen is going to blow your mind, right? I don't even want this to happen. Right? And so Jesus is struggling, and he knows the disciples are struggling, just human exhaustion, and he's trying to encourage them. Listen to verse 42. He went away again a second time, and he prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. So notice what happened. In his prayer, what is he doing in his prayer? Right? He's making a request known to God, but what else is he doing? He's accepting, okay, he's accepting the will of God that may be, if God wants to stop it, he can, right? If Jesus wanted to stop it, he said, I could, right? Okay, I can call these no angels. What else is he doing? Think about that. What is he, what is he doing in his prayer? Self-talk. I mean, he's talking to God, but he's also telling himself, we've got to do this. I want to show you, uh, let me give you two more verses, if you will. 42. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass away until I drink it, 
thy will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, and their eyes being heavy. And then 44, and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So he's going to the Father. Now I want to go to another, the second one, real quick. Um, John chapter 12. That's where I want to go. John 12. Sorry. And I want to look at verse 27. I want you to think about the prayer we just heard. And then verse 27. Uh, my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What, what do we have going on here? Right? Is he not us all the way? Yeah, right? He's like, you know, I know I don't want to go to the cross. Of course not. But this is why I came. I came to go to the cross. But now he's at the point of going to the cross. He's like, wow, I don't want to go to this cross. You know, this is going to be painful. And, you know, six hours. on the, I mean, this is like the real side of him. But the other side of him is saying, no, but this is why I came. I came here to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And then the third part is back in uh, Matthew 26, the, the last part, verses 45 and 46, and, and going through this whole moment of distress and trauma in his life, then he came to the disciples and said, now this is the fourth time he came to the disciples, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Let's go. Let's go. So you might have to talk to the Father a lot, right? Keep on talking to him. And as you're talking to him, remind yourself of why you're here. Why are you here? I'm here so I don't suffer. No, you're going to suffer while you're here. Well, I don't want to die. Well, no, you're going to die while you're here. Well, I don't want to go through this. Well, if this is where you are, then give it to God. Stand up and deal with the reality. Now, look, this is what you don't do. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus said that, Matthew 6, 34. Just, just try to stay with God right now in this moment, right? Because we could dream a lot of bad things up that are going to come, or we could just stay in this moment right now and just deal with it and ask God for strength. Now, the strength that God gives us, he's ready to give it to us, and he will give it to us, and it already is in us, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. There's some bad stuff that could happen. But stay in the moment. Talk to God. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself of the reality. Stay out of the imaginary. Because the imaginary world will destroy us all. Right? It's called speculation. Right? And you can speculate all you want. It's not the truth. And in most cases, the things in the imaginary world never actually happen, right? All right, so uh, thank you for your time tonight. We'll come back and we'll, we'll pick that up um, and, and looking into how to keep that mind in a positive uh, mode of thinking. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.